Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. If you would, turn to the Gospel of John in the 13th chapter of John's wonderful Gospel that we have been walking through together. We are going to embark on looking at a message today entitled, The Dangerous Power of Hypocrisy. The Dangerous Power of Hypocrisy. We'll be looking at John in the 13th chapter, verses 21 through 20. But before we do that, I want to define for you what the definition is of a hypocrite. I tell you this because oftentimes in our culture, in our society, we are confused about this. It's very simple, one who commits hypocrisy. I say that only to then lead you into knowing what hypocrisy really is, but what a hypocrite is not, so that you can understand this before we get into the dangers of hypocrisy, I'm going to tell you what a hypocrite is not. Um, A hypocrite is not a person who desires to do the right thing but falls short, as is commonly thought. Many times we will see a person who desires to do the right thing, who falls short, be referred to as a hypocrite. That's not a hypocrite. That's a human. Everybody understand that? I remember when my children were growing up, my daughter, it was something, and I don't even remember what it was, but we told her that we were going to be able to do something that day, and something happened along the course of the day, and we ran out of time, and we weren't able to do that. And she had heard, because she was raised in church, the word hypocrite, but she had the wrong definition of that word. So it was a good time for a spiritual lesson and a vocabulary lesson. Um, When my daughter looked at me and said, you said you were going to do this, but you did it. You're a hypocrite. And I was like, girl, I will send you to the maker now. No. (laughs) I looked at her and I said, let me tell you something. Uh, Number one, my intentions were right. My intentions were right. Jojo says, no, he wasn't kidding. My intentions were right, but I fell short. I didn't intentionally lie to my daughter. I didn't tell her we were going to do something, and then my intention the whole time was to not do that. I had good intentions, but I fell short. And that's not really a hypocrite, and we had that lesson there in that moment. That's not a hypocrite. What a hypocrite is is somebody who tells you that they have good intentions when they really have bad intentions. A hypocrite is that person, as as defined by Scripture, who is the, the wearer of a mask, a pretender, counterfeit, a fake, a phony, a fraud, a poser. We, we know all of the words, a deceiver. It's that person who wears a mask of righteousness while all along, inwardly, they're wicked and they have wicked schemes. And so the hypocrite or hypocrisy, by definition, is not someone who tries to do the right thing and then falls short in their flesh. But it's someone who pretends to be doing the right thing. And all the while they know that inwardly something's not right. They are the wearer of the mask, intentionally wearing that mask, intentionally pretending and deceiving and counterfeiting themselves to be something that they aren't, or even to pretend to be something different than what they are. And so we're going to look today in John chapter 13 at uh, the greatest hypocrite. The greatest hypocrite... uh, 
that this world has ever seen in, in Judas Iscariot. We, we talked last week, as the Lord proclaimed, that there, there would be someone in their midst who would betray him. Today he's going to identify the traitor. He's going to identify Judas Iscariot, Iscariot as that one, the wearer of the mask, the hypocrite. We look at Judas and we can see this in his life in retrospect because we have all of the light and all the elements to do that. However, we're going to see that the disciples in Jesus' day who were there with them in that upper room, so it is called, many of them didn't have a clue. But when we look at Judas, he is the epitome of hypocrisy. He was numbered with the disciples, but he was no disciple at all, only pretending to be a disciple. He claimed to follow Christ when in all the reality... He was betraying Christ. He witnessed for Christ and shared the gospel as he was sent out into the countryside only to not believe the message himself. He saw miracles after miracle. He heard Christ preach with passion and power and authority that he believed none of it. He seemed benevolent to some, but inwardly, he was a thief, as he was the one who was in control of the money bag of the disciples. We know this. As Scripture testifies that from time to time, he would help himself to the money for his own benefit. He was a thief, pretending to be a person of benevolence. He was inwardly lost and unbelieving. He was ultimately an apostate, but all the while pretending. He tricked and he deceived many along the way, as we will see, even the closest followers of Christ. He was the hypocrite of all hypocrites. He didn't have good intentions that went awry. He had bad intentions that were disguised as good. And so as we look at this in John chapter 13, verses 21 through 30, I want us to look today at a message, the dangerous power of of hypocrisy. The dangerous power of hypocrisy. John chapter 13, verse 21. It says this, and we're picking up where we left off last week. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. He told them in verse 18, I'm not referring to all of you because he knows those he has chosen. He knew that he chose Judas, one of the 12, but he also knew that Judas was to betray him. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John's reference to himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now let me make this clear. John was not being arrogant here. He understood the depths of the love of Christ. He was saying, I know that he loved me. And isn't it good for us to understand that? Kirk Hall is a disciple that Jesus loved. And he proved that love to me by demonstrating his love on a cross 2,000 years ago. Many times John gets a bad rap because that's how he refers him to himself. But let me tell you this. He just understood the depths and the riches of the love of God, which is in Christ. It says the one, of, uh, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Now look at Peter here, Mr. Bold and Brave. Mr. Bold and Brave didn't say, Jesus, 
Which one is it? You know why Peter probably didn't do that, just knowing Peter's personality? He was afraid it was going to be him. So what Peter did, he, he did like children do, right? Your, your daughter and your son, they both want the same thing, and they're trying to talk each other into asking. Right? The worst thing that they can hear is no, but they're afraid of that word because they both want something. So they would say, they, the, the sister would say to the brother, go ask dad. No, you go ask dad. No, you go ask dad. And when our children were going out, we could listen outside the door and hear this going on. And then that's when dad would walk in. You got something to say? You want to ask me something? No. <laughs> All of a sudden, no one had a question. So we see this kind of playing out here with the disciples. Peter wanting to know the answer. And all the disciples, of course, wanting to know the answer. John up there close to Jesus. Peter says, you ask him. You ask him. And he does. He goes on and he asks him. One of them, the disciple, whom Jesus loved, was crying next to him. And signed Peter motioned the disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Now understand this, all of them were afraid of the answer. That's why John leaned back against Jesus as he was reclining there on the table. Lord, who is it? Which one of us? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it into the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, Jesus didn't waste any time. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus, looking at Judas, says, What you are about to do, do quickly. Why? It is the appointed time. The cross is approaching. This has to happen. Do it quickly. Do it quickly. But no one at the mill understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. Obviously, Judas had this reputation as a benevolent giver. They thought, well, maybe the Lord is telling him to go get some things and, and give it to the poor. No, the Lord was telling him, Judas, you've already made up your mind what you're going to do. I already know your true heart. I know what you came into this world destined for. I see through your hypocrisy. Go do what you came to do. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. What a terrible statement. And it was night. We're going to learn that that is significant because it marks the last night that Judas Iscariot would spend on this planet. It was his last night in just hours. His life would be over. And so I want us to look at this text today, and I want us to see some dangers because we see Judas' obvious hypocrisy here. But I want us to see the danger and the dangerous power of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy has power. And I know many times we don't like to look at awful things and relay the message that they have power. But I'm going to tell you something right now, that hypocrisy is the power that we're going to see active in the life of Judas that caused him to betray Christ. So as we look at this, the first thing I want you to see is that hypocrisy has the power to, number one, disturb the Savior. To disturb the Savior. I want you to pay attention to what is said here. I love this. Verse 21, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. He was troubled in spirit. And, I, and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. 
I assure you of this, just as we talked about last week, Jesus predicted it. Jesus has known about this since before the foundations of the earth. Jesus was not shocked by the betrayal of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not shocked when an unbeliever finally rejects him. He's not shocked by that at all. He knows all things. Jesus was bothered by Judas. This is, when it says that he was troubled, this is inward anguish. It shows again the humanity of our Savior. Don't forget, John's whole purpose in John's gospel has been to make sure that we understand the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's John 1.14. We know John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John has made great effort to make sure that we know that Jesus is God in flesh. He is making sure right here, not that we understand the deity of Christ, but that we understand the humanity of Christ. That though he was and has been fully God, he was also fully man. We get to see into the humanity of Christ here. He was troubled. He was bothered by Judas, what was about to take place. So that you can understand it, he grieved. He grieved that one who had been with him this whole time had seen the miracles, had heard the preaching, had just a few verses before this had his feet washed by Christ. He's grieved because this same man for 30 wretched pieces of silver sells Christ out and betrays Him. We must never forget that our Savior, though fully God, was fully man. One of His closest friends is going to betray Him, and He knows exactly who He is, and He knows exactly how He's going to do it, and He knows exactly what it's going to lead to. Jesus here is grieved, and John does a wonderful job of letting us know that. He was troubled. Those of you who are here who have ever had someone betray you, be that family member or friend unjustly, you know the internal pain that comes with that. Though you won't have marks on your body, there won't be wounds afflicted on the exterior, you know this, that inwardly, inwardly, man, it hurts. In fact, most of us who have been betrayed by close friends would agree, I would rather you inflict physical pain than to inflict that internal grieving that comes with a friend betraying you. Jesus here going through that, bothered by Judas. Bothered that the one, or one of the ones that he had just washed his feet, and we have no reason to believe that he passed by Judas when the foot washing was going on. So therefore, one of those who he just washed his feet in humility is still going to go through with a plan to betray Christ. Jesus was bothered by Judas, but not only that, Jesus was burdened for Judas. He was burdened for Judas. He knew the lost condition of Judas. He knew that he was in his sin, that he had an unbelieving heart, that he was wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked, and he was spiritually dead. And he also knew this was going to be his last moments on earth. 
before he would perish for all eternity. You think about that for a moment. Put yourself in the the Savior's shoes. Knowing that he is turning him over to eternal destruction. That Judas is going to remain in his unbelief, hell-bound, and lost for all eternity. And though Judas was truly an enemy of Christ because he was, there was no cause for Christ to rejoice. Oh, if this had been me, what I would have done, knowing that my enemy was going to have to suffer, I would have said, and rightfully so, you scoundrel. Not the Christ. The Christ knowing that he was his enemy, and that he would betray him. He had a burden for his soul. He had a burden for his lost state and his eternal destruction. Jesus sovereignly knew that Judas wouldn't repent and that he was walking away from Christ forever in that moment, headed toward death and hell. And this grieved the Savior. Can I tell you this? The Savior is grieved when unbelievers reject the general gospel call. He is grieved that he would make such an offer to such wicked men Yet they would refuse this offer. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32. Ezekiel gives us some light into the Lord's heart here as he pins the words of the Lord himself. He says in Ezekiel 18, 32, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. This is in the midst of judgment. The Lord wants you to know he's not thrilled that he has to execute his judgment, but he has to execute his judgment because he is holy and he is just. He's not thrilled about this. He doesn't rejoice. God is not some sadist. He was not happy on the day that he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for their depravity and their immorality. It grieved his heart that he had to do it, but he had to do it because he's a holy God. And here he is in Ezekiel saying the same thing. He says, for I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Repent and live. God sees this, that if a person would repent and believe that they would live, but for them to continue in their rejection, in their condemnation, they will surely die, and they will spend an eternity in hell. And it grieves Christ here to know that Judas is there. Ezekiel chapter 33, he reiterates again God's feelings on this. Verse 11, it says, As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why? Because he knows that's the end. When the wicked die, they die and they perish in hell. He takes no pleasure in that, in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. That's what the gospel is all about. That if you believe in Christ, you won't perish, but that if you don't believe in Christ, you're condemned already. Remember John chapter 3. The Lord is not delighted that many refuse to repent and acknowledge the Savior. He says, turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Why are you so stubborn? Why are you so bent on rejecting me? Rejecting me? Why are you so stuck in your condemnation? Jesus was burdened for Judas. Can I tell you this today? Jesus is still troubled and burdened and disturbed by the unbelieving. You think that the unbelieving sinners in this world bother you? Oh, how it burdens the Lord to see a world who has received common grace and common love over and over and over again and blessing beyond measure, but yet they don't acknowledge Him and they carry on in their own selfish lives. 
Jesus is still troubled today. He's troubled by the hypocrites today. And he cries out to them, repent and believe and live. I don't take any pleasure in the fact that you're going to die and that you're going to spend an eternity in hell. Repent. It's your only hope. Repent to turn to Christ as Lord and Savior. We see that hypocrisy has the power to disturb the Savior. Please understand that this morning, if you are a hypocrite in our midst, that wearer of mask, that pretender, that Sunday morning churchgoer who denies Christ the rest of your life, the Christ is grieved over you. The Christ is burdened for you. He's burdened for your soul because he knows the condition of your wretched soul apart from him, just as he wants new mind. And thankfully... He rescued me by His grace and His mercy and my prayers that He would extend that grace and mercy to you today, allowing you to repent and to believe in your hypocrisy to be forgiven, to be washed, to be cleansed. Hypocrisy has the power to disturb the Savior. Secondly, hypocrisy has the power to deceive the saints. Look at verse 22. Here they are, a group of believers. We know them as the original 12 disciples or the apostles. It says in verse 22, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. They're confused here. Who is he talking about? He can't be talking about any of us. We're the inner circle. We're the, we're the close ones. We're, we're, we're the small group inside of this church. We're, we're the important ones. We're the ones who've walked through life with him. We've left things and followed him. He can't be talking about one of us. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter motioned, as we saw a moment ago. Who, who, are they ta- who is he talking about? John, find out. John asked him, who is it? Who is it? Jesus tells them who it is. It is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it into the dish. Jesus told them exactly who it was going to be. Did you know this? We read this and they watched it happen. Immediately, Jesus takes the bread, dips it in the dish, hands it to Judas. Now watch what happens, and we're going to skip over a few verses, verse 27 to be specific, and then we're going to come back to it. But look at verse 28, what happens. Verse 28 says this, But no one at the mill understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. They still didn't understand, even after Jesus told them, I'm going to dip a piece of bread into a dish. He made it real simple, didn't he? And the one that I give it to, he's the one. He gave the bread directly to Judas and said, Now go and do what you have to do. And they still couldn't believe it. Why? I'll tell you why. Judas was so good at being a hypocrite that they never in their wildest dreams thought that it was going to be him. Even after they saw it, he was so good at his hypocrisy that even the disciples, the saints of God, the true believers, even those guys were deceived here. Disciples were confused. Who among them would forsake such a Savior? Isn't that a valid question for them to ask? They had seen everything that the Lord had done. They had believed in Him. Peter thought that this whole issue had already been resolved back in John chapter 6. Remember John chapter 6, verse 66. When we look back there, we can remember this. But there was a group of people who claimed to know Christ, but it was just an intellectual knowledge of Christ. They didn't have true faith. And then when things got tough, they bailed. Oh, how many times have we seen that? 
In 66 of chapter 6, it says this, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Those were never true disciples at all. Why? Because John teaches us later on in his epistle that they went out from us because they were not of us. They never were true disciples. Verse 67 says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Remember, Jesus asked the 12. You don't want to leave too, do you? Now, Peter, the big mouth, speaks up. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter thought this issue had been resolved, that we, because he asked the 12, are you guys going to leave me too? No, we're staying. We're in. We're all in. Peter said, Lord, we have nowhere to go. You have the words of eternal life. And Judas hid back in the shadows. Judas hid back in the shadows because had he answered this question, he would have had to answer the question, honestly, I'm going to betray you for 30 pieces of silver. I've got it out for you. I'm not really one of your followers. I'm only pretending to be so that I can do what I have to do. The disciples were confused, rightfully so. These men had lived life together. They thought that they knew everything about one another. Oftentimes in churches, we think that just because someone is here, well, that must mean that they have the interest of God and the glory of God and the kingdom of God at heart. Can I tell you that that is sometimes the farthest thing from the truth? Sometimes in our midst, we have hypocrites who wear masks, who they put them on on a Sunday morning. And they pretend to be something when we join together, but when they leave here, they take the mask off and they are something totally different. That's why they were confused. Judas was so good at being a hypocrite that they had no clue. The disciples were confused, but the disciples were clueless. Clueless. Proving that Judas was not only a hypocrite, but he was a good hypocrite. The only thing worse than a hypocrite would be a good hypocrite because that hypocrite fools most everyone. Judas was that man. He fooled them to such a degree. He played the game so well that even after Jesus gave them a clear hint to his identity, they still couldn't see it. He took the bread. He dipped the bread. He didn't pass it around the table and say, let's play a guessing game. He handed it directly to the hypocrite who was going to betray him. Yet they couldn't believe it. Clueless. We must be careful. Please listen to me, church. We must be careful in our discernment of hypocrisy and of hypocrites. We must be careful that we are not deceived by Hypocrisy. Hypocrites throughout the ages. Church history proves this. Hypocrites who had a, a, an agenda that was not for the glory of God have infiltrated the church and deceived the saints. In our day, you almost have to apologize if you confront such issues. If you confront false teaching and false doctrine and you confront the hypocrites, you almost have to apologize for it in our day and time. I will not be one of those. These disciples were clueless not discerning the truth. 1 John chapter 4 says this, John giving instruction to the church here in his epistle to the church. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Judas should have never been trusted. 
But they trusted him because they didn't discern the situation. No one ever double-checked him and said, you know what, there's some money missing from the money bag. Where is it? And Judas, I noticed that you got a, a nice and new pair of sandals. Where did those come from? Oh, because we were afraid that if we did, we, well, they might be offended by the fact that we confronted their hypocrisy. Judas, where did you go last night when we were all fellowshipping around the table? Where were you headed? Oh, you were working a deal with the Pharisees to sell out the Lord? Oh, say that it's not so. But no one discerned that. We can't be that undiscerning. This is how we can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that J Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, this is 1 John 4 again, for, is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. John says the Antichrist is already in the world. That spirit, did you know this? The same spirit that will possess the Antichrist is possessing Judas right here. And he is in their midst, and they are clueless about it. I say this to say this. Christians, pray. Pray and study the Word of God. Pray so that God will give you clarity as you are discerning things. And study the Word of God so that you know the difference between the truth and the lies of this world. Many hypocrites come wearing the name of God. Many hypocrites come wearing the name of Jesus. But we know this, that they are sheep only on the outside, but inside, as Christ said, they are ravenous Wolves, don't be deceived by them. Hypocrisy has power. It has power to deceive even the saints. Thirdly, as we continue on this journey, looking at the dangerous power of hypocrisy, number three, hypocrisy has the power to detain the sinner. Watch how in verse 27, hypocrisy takes hold of Judas forever. This is why I warn you of this today, unbeliever. Hear me. The hypocrisy that you have in your life right now that you think you're the only one who knows about it, the fact that you're wearing a mask this very moment and pretending to be a part of a church when you know that you are truly not surrendered to Christ, that is not dangerous in the fact only that it could lead other people astray. It is dangerous in the fact that it could detain you for all eternity. Hypocrisy has the power to detain the sinner. Verse 27, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Oh, man. Well, startling news. He is now controlled by the father of all lies. Satan, the serpent, Lucifer, all the names that we know Scripture defines him as, the evil one. He is now possessed by Satan. So we see how this progresses. Judas' willingness to remain in his hypocrisy, it entrapped him, it enslaved him leaving him in bondage to his sin. Did you know your hypocrisy? It'll hold you captive. It'll hold you captive, and it will deceive you. And it will cause you to remain in your unbelief. Many people hold on their, to their hypocrisy like this. They know they're going to hear today that you're a hypocrite by definition. And you need to repent and you need to turn to Jesus Christ today. And somehow, some way in your lying sinful nature, your sin is going to lie to you and to tell you that everything is okay when you know good and well that everything is not okay. Judas remains in his hypocrisy, leaving him in the bondage of sin. 
Now think about that for a moment. Jesus takes the bread, says the one who I dip this bread and then give it to is the one who is going to betray me. He takes the bread, he dips it in the bowl, he hands it to Judas. Shouldn't Judas have said no and dropped it? said, I'm not going to take that. You said the one who you give the bread to is the one who's going to betray you. I'm not going to do that. No, he willfully took the bread. He partook of it. He willfully took the bread that identified the hypocrite, proving that he was held captive by his own sin. Some people in their hypocrisy They deceive people so long that they even become deceived themselves. Oh, isn't that the case with Judas? He had deceived everyone for so long that he was deceived. He was in his sin, totally entangled. When Jesus pointed out the truth that the one who took this bread would be the one, he willfully took it because he was so wrapped up and enslaved to his sin. Oh, isn't that the nature of an unredeemed man? He willfully jumps into sin knowing that it's not right intellectually, but he has no other option because he is a product of unbelief. He is a product of sin. Judas proving that here, leaving him in the bondage of his hypocrisy, his sin, but leading him into possession by Satan. I want you to pay close attention to this. Judas' hypocrisy and his unwillingness to repent led to Satan entering into him and possessing and controlling him. Please make note of this. Judas did not become a hypocrite because he was possessed by Satan. He was possessed by Satan because he would not repent of his hypocrisy. Please understand the difference. And those of you who remain in your unbelief and you remain in your wickedness, You are potentially a victim to utter darkness by the enemy. Do you know this? The enemy of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever. That's what Scripture tells us. Here Judas is blinded to the point where he knows that he's the hypocrite. Jesus gives him the bread and he still goes through with it, opening the door to be possessed by Satan himself. Well, many people say, well, I don't know if I believe about all that possession stuff. Read it again. Did you know we'll see another possessed by Satan again? It is the Antichrist. Judas being that precursor to the Antichrist, the one who would betray Christ, possessed by Satan. The sin of hypocrisy detained Judas just long enough. Or perhaps that sin is detaining you this morning. It's holding you just long enough so that Satan can have his way with darkening your heart and your mind forever. Just long enough until Satan had complete and absolute control over him, mastering him, leading him into betrayal of Christ. Let's see the dangerous power of hypocrisy today. Well, you're here today and you are that hypocrite. See the power that it has to hold you and repent before you are completely mastered and controlled by evil. You say, well, I don't know that we're all prone to that. You are all prone to that in a state of unbelief. Do not be deceived. 
Hypocrisy has the power to detain the sinner. And then fourthly, we see this. And sadly, hypocrisy has the power to destroy the soul. The power to destroy the soul. And I'm not talking about the fact that we are condemned in a sinful state. I'm talking about utter darkness, utter destruction, eternal death. Judas' hypocrisy led to the destruction and the final destruction of his soul. You know what the sad thing is? He thought that he was selling Jesus out. He had been deceived and so deceived by Satan that he thought that he was selling Jesus out. And in all reality, he was selling himself out. Jesus rose from the grave. Judas will spend an eternity in hell. He was deceived by the enemy. He sold himself out. He didn't sell Christ out. Nothing happened, I assure you of this, without God's sovereign stamp of approval. Judas thinking he was doing something noble in his own sinful mind. He was going to gain 30 pieces of silver. And all he had to do was sell out Christ. When we say that Judas sold out Christ for 30 pieces of silver, no, Judas sold himself out for 30 pieces of silver, and no fool would sell himself out for 30 pieces of silver. But he did. Because hypocrisy had destroyed his soul. Destroyed his soul. Look at verse 30. Verse 30 says this, As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. What a statement. And it was night. Judas took that bread, sealing him in his unbelief. He took that bread, it was the final seal on his unbelief. He was turned over then to the depravity of his mind. He was given over, as Roman talks about, to his sin. He was then possessed by Satan. Sealing him in his unbelief. Walking away from Christ that night, please understand this, sealed his eternal fate. Some of you have heard this message today, and you know in your heart of hearts that you are a hypocrite. And, and, and I pray that you don't, but you could walk out the door today in your hypocrisy, running the risk of your eternal fate being sealed forever. You being sealed in your unbelief, never having another opportunity to hear the gospel and to be saved. Judas walked out that night, his last night on this earth. Did you know this? Judas never saw another sunrise. He walked out that night, sealed in his unbelief forever. Sealed in his unbelief forever. He would die in a state of apostasy, ultimately rejecting Christ. Oh, Hebrews speaks on this. The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. If you know anything about the, the book of Hebrews, you know this, that the whole book is talking about apostasy. There were many people who were apostatizing from the faith. They were leaving faith in Christ. The author of Hebrews is making something very clear here that true believers are not going to leave. They are going to persevere. Because they know that the only hope that they have of forgiveness of sin is Christ. They have, as Peter said in John chapter 6, nowhere else to go. Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
But then there are the Judases. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, describes these type of people. He says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. Now, that's just not talking about any old sin. Please understand that, because all of you have sinned since you were a believer. You would all be in trouble. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the sin of apostasy. He's saying this, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Now, let's put Judas into this equation. He received the knowledge of the truth. You are the traitor. And he deliberately continued in his apostasy. He deliberately continued in his hypocrisy selling Christ for 30 pieces of silver. He says there's no sacrifice for sins left for someone like that. That doesn't mean that Jesus' sacrifice ran out of power. He's saying this, you've been turned over to your wickedness. You can't be saved. He says, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Judas continued in his apostasy only to fall into the hands of the living God. He had those hands wash his feet just hours before this. And now it will be the same hands that execute the wrath of God upon him for all eternity. Would you think about the devastation that has occurred here in Judas? Leaving him in his unbelief, sealing that unbelief, and then sending him into utter darkness. You see that phrase there in 30. It says, and it was night. That, that's a true statement on the chronological timeline. It was evening when this happened. However, it also has very powerful theological implications. This was signifying Judas forever walk into darkness. It was signifying that when Judas walked out, he left the light of the world and he walked out into the darkness of sin and hypocrisy. His forever walk into darkness where he would remain in spiritual darkness forever. He would never see the light of Jesus Christ expressed to him in common grace and common love, benevolent compassion. He would never see that again. He would only have the fearful expectation of the wrath and justice of God in hell. Again, just moments before, Christ washed his feet. And here he is taking the walk of forever darkness. He walked out, and it was night. He would never see the light of day again. He would never see the light of God again. He will spend an eternity separated from God and all the goodness of God in hell only to experience the wrath 
of God. So hear me today. Hear me today. To walk away from Christ as a hypocrite. The wearer of a mask, the pretender, the phony, the fake, the fraud. To walk away from Christ as a hypocrite in your own unbelief, in your own sin today, could be the beginning of your forever walk into darkness. Don't let that be you, dear friend. Turn to the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, this very day, and be saved. I want to conclude this message today in a different manner. I would like for us to take a test together. And I know if you're anything like me, you hate tests. But I will assure you of this, it will be a short test. But it might be the most important test that you've ever taken in your life. We've seen the dangerous power of hypocrisy and all of its ramifications, all of its dangers, all of its destruction. We must examine ourselves today in light of this. We must examine ourselves today in light of this to ensure that we are not in danger of this hypocrisy, taking our last walk into the darkness forever. And so let's ask a few questions. There are seven of them total. I would ask that you not answer them for your wife or that you not answer them for your husband, that you not answer them for your children. I would ask that you do this in accordance with Scripture to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, to test yourself to see if you are truly of the faith. As Paul said, we ask these questions. Question number one, are you different in the congregation than in your daily life? Are you different in the congregation than in your daily life? Do you wear a mask? Do people see something different here than what you really are? You, my friend, are hypocrites. Do you wear a different mask at church? But when you take it off after you leave, do you display the world? Do you pretend? Are you pretending now? Are you just going through the motions because it's what you've always done? Oh, you're in danger, my friend, of hypocrisy. Number two, do you fit in with the unbelieving world? Do you fit in with the unbelieving world? Are you a chameleon? Can you fit in in every crowd? Because let me tell you this, a Christian cannot fit in every crowd. A Christian fits in Christ, and that's the only place a Christian fits. We go out into the world to shine light into the darkness, not to become the darkness. Oh, how many church leaders have failed thinking that the idea of church is to create darkness here so that darkness can come in and feel welcome. No, we want darkness to come in and feel the fires of hell so that they will repent and turn to Christ, the only one who can save them. Are you different or do you fit in? Are you that chameleon like Judas was? Oh, he could wear the mask around the disciples and even fool them, but he could walk up somehow and gain access to the chief priest, which, which wasn't an easy thing to do. And be whatever it is everyone wanted him to be. Number three, do you, you, do you use Jesus only for your own personal benefit and gain? Well, that's the earmark of a Judas. Using Jesus only for your own personal benefit and gain. 
what would happen? If you lost it all and still only had Christ, would you be content with that? If you lost it all and only had Christ, would you be content with that? That's the heart of a true believer. Judas, he only followed Christ for a short time so that he could benefit by stealing from him. By stealing from him. Are you stealing from Christ for your own benefit? Number four, do you do good things only to be seen and applauded by men instead of bringing glory to God? Obviously, Judas was good at doing this. Because when Jesus mentioned that he was leaving, they thought, well, he must be going to do something benevolent. We know this about him. His benevolence was really sin, disguised as good, but was really thievery. He was stealing what was not his to have. Do you do good things only to be seen and applauded by men? Do you do what you do for the church so others will go, oh, what a good job you have done? Or do you do it for an audience of one who knows all things and sees all things and hears all things and who is worthy of all glory and honor and praise? Do you do it for him, bringing him glory? Number five, as we are asking questions, testing our hypocrisy, do you follow Jesus only when it is convenient? Do you? Oh, I'm sorry that I don't have seven tips to help you live a better life. I have seven tips to help you examine your life, to see if you need to repent and turn to Christ today. You follow Jesus only when it is convenient. Oh, the disciples of Christ would cringe at our convenience-based following of Jesus, those who gave their lives in brutal fashion, who lost family and friends and homes, ostracized by everyone and eventually suffered and died for the cause of Christ. They would be so bothered by our hypocrisy in this nation that we have Christ only when it's convenient. You can measure that by your life. Look at your prayer life. Do you only go to your knees in prayer when you need something? Or do you go to your knees in prayer to tell Him how wonderful He is when you have nothing? Do you go to your knees in prayers when you suffer, thanking Him for it, as James says, counting it all joy when you face trials of many kinds, saying, thank you, Lord, that I am yours and that you are growing and maturing me? Or do you just follow out of convenience? Number six, don't worry, we're almost done. Do you know deep inside that you're lost in sin and in need of a Savior? Have you heard that this morning? Do you know that? But then you are too proud to admit it. You're too proud to admit it. Oh, look at Judas here in this instance. Jesus said, the one I give the bread to, he's the one. Why didn't he fall on his knees in humility there? No, Lord, not I. No, Lord, it can't be so. I will not take this bread. I will not betray you. I would rather die than betray you. No. He fell to his pride. And his pride opened the door for the father of all pride to come in and to execute a wicked plan to betray the Savior. Number seven. Are you bound by darkness only pretending to be of the light? Are you bound by darkness only pretending to be of the light? 
What a question. Well, look at the evidence. Friendship with the world is enmity toward God. So friendship with the world is enmity toward God? And your friend with the world? Therein lies your answer. Stop being deceived by your own justification. If you were in this world, you are not in Christ because you can't be in two places at one time. We know that we must physically live in the world. But if you are of the world, then you are not of Christ. The Scripture makes that very clear. And unfortunately, the American church has made that very hazy through the course of time. We want the church to look like the world so we can reach the world. And it doesn't work like that. We make the church look like the church, and the church in its light purifies the darkness of this world. So where do you stand? Are you bound by your darkness, only pretending to be of the light? It's a Sunday morning thing. But then you go out and you deny Christ with your every word and your every deed and your every thought, your every action, knowing full well that you've never truly surrendered by faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to forgive you and to cleanse you and to wash you. You've never bowed to Him as Lord and Savior. You're still that hypocrite. William Spurstow, the Puritan, said this. He said, Religion which is begun in hypocrisy will certainly end in apostasy. Isn't there solid proof of that in Judas? May there not be proof of that in your life. My prayer today is as we have taken this short examination, my prayer is this, that if you find yourself in a place of hypocrisy, that you see the dangerous power of hypocrisy like you've never seen it before, that God would open your eyes to your need of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, that you would bow and turn to Him and Him alone to free you from your sin. Are you that unbelieving hypocrite like Judas, only pretending to be a follower of Christ, just a Sunday morning gatherer? Repent today. Wholeheartedly repent and turn to Christ. And turn to Him as Lord and Savior. Don't let your pride, as Judas did, don't let your pride keep you from being honest about your spiritual condition. Oh, why did Judas not say, yes, Lord, it is I, it is Judas, a scary. I have made a deal with the devil, and I need your forgiveness, and I need your mercy, and I need your grace, but that's not the way that it happened. He didn't get honest about his spiritual condition, and he carried it through with a plan. Don't take your final walk into darkness today. Don't take your final walk into darkness today and die in your hypocrisy like Judas did. I implore you. I beg you. I plead with you this morning. Turn to Christ before it's too late. Get honest with Him and Him alone. Lord, I am that hypocrite. I am the traitor. I am the one who sells you out for the world every day. Father, forgive me. Jesus, wash me and cleanse me. Restore me. I turn from my wickedness and I turn to you as Lord and Savior. Turn to him today and be saved forever. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you thanking you so much for your word. God, I pray that the hard truth of this lesson today pierce the hardest of hearts, that you would draw sinners to repentance today. 
and to faith, to believe and to trust in You as the only One who can wash them and cleanse them and grant to them eternal life. That they would cry out to Jesus this very day, even now from their seat, that they would cry out to You, Lord Jesus, to save them from their sin and from the wrath of God that is to come upon them. Lord, may Your will be done today. Holy Spirit, we depend upon You to convict the hearts. Would You do this, we ask, in accordance with the will of the Father today, graciously giving salvation to those who you desire to save today. And we pray and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness.